I want to thank uh, everybody for last week. I don't know, some of you may know, we were, um, there was no school in Andover on Friday or Monday, so we were going to try to sneak away a little mini family reunion. We had family coming from uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Hawaii, and we were meeting in Florida. And uh, we were looking, middle of last week, we were looking at the forecast, and there was this gigantic hurricane uh, that at the time was heading straight to where we were trying to fly. And on Thursday, we had our uh, bags packed, boarding passes printed, the car was going to pick us up, and uh, we had to cancel the whole thing because uh, we were not going to fly into the teeth of that hurricane. And so uh, what happened, though, was that we had people prepared to serve communion and to preach and to pray and to do everything, and I just got to come to church and just take it in. And it was such a joy uh, just to worship and to just be here. So thank you for that. Uh, we're gonna re- we've rescheduled for uh, another time on our, on our trip. But um, I became, because of this little experience, I became sort of a, an amateur storm watcher. Uh, watching this uh, storm develop and, and uh, move and head up the coast. And, um, but th- you see, it was uh, devastating in the Bahamas and those islands around there, this storm just stalled out at top speed and just flattened uh, just many, many homes, thousands of homes, tens of thousands of homes, I believe. And the loss of human life is terrible. So uh, just seeing that was a little bit, it was, it was, it's heartbreaking uh, to, to, to see that happening. Encourage you, uh, we do pray for these people. Encourage you, if God uh, compels you to be generous financially to those things, do that. Um, we're not together as a church doing anything specific, but, you know, there's plenty of opportunities uh, to be part of that. And certainly we do pray for people. But when, when devastation like that, that hits, you go back there. I mean, it's, it's just a foundation that's left, really, uh, for many people. And then just the getting back to the basics. Like, do I have water? Do I, can I find shelter? Do I have food? to even continue on. And that image of a storm coming in and, and really um, wiping things out, is, it's actually a biblical image. Jesus said, um, you know, there's, storms will come and it's going gonna, it's gonna to reveal what the foundation is of, uh, of, the, of the dwelling. And for us as a, as a, a church, this is a, a great time for us to consider the same thing. What is the foundation of our life together? What is our purpose together and and what is there and what is it built of and is it strong and would it withstand the storm and some feel that we have you know perhaps been in a storm and we've had a lot of changes and 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 um and those sorts of things this summer but we um but god has allowed storms to happen and we must ask then what why what is god showing us where is he leading us so as we look at this uh, we're going to get back to our Purpose, and we're going to be exploring our uh, over the next couple of weeks. Our purpose statement as a church—it's it's a old statement. It predates my time here. And the statement is this: the purpose of Free Christian Church is to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and a community of Christian love, and to develop in them Christ-like maturity, to uh, mobilize them for service to His church and the world in order to glorify God. And today we're going to look at one part of that is this idea of developing into Christ-like maturity and what that, uh, what that looks like. So, but it's not just for us as a church. I mean, for anyone here, you may find yourself in a new season or a new storm of life. And uh, certainly for the kids who are here, you probably have new grades and new teachers. I met a number of uh, students last week who had just moved to, moved to town, who are boarding at various uh, boarding schools and uh, looking to connect with the church. 
Uh, some of you are in between jobs. You have new employment or have just ended employment or maybe you've become empty nested or there's some other milestone in your life that is causing a new season here. And, I, and for me, I feel that the fall is almost more, feels like more of a transition than even New Year's itself because it's just sort of a resetting of things. So, and especially with kids going back to school, it has, it just, you feel it a little bit more. But for you, whatever that is, this is an important time for all of us in any transition to say, Lord, what is my foundation and what are you calling me to? So to do that, we're going to take a look at one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, which was just read for us, and considering God's call, the foundational call of God on our lives, uh, both as a, as a community and individually as well. So let's pray as we approach God's Word. So Father, uh, we do pray today, especially for those who um, have been impacted and devastated by this recent storm. Uh, Father, as we, as we enjoy a beautiful day, and as we will uh, picnic together and enjoy it, and as we worship in great comfort in this place, we know that many do not. Um, not just those who have been displaced, but those who are in places of war and of um, trial and uh, persecution in different ways, Lord. So may, may our hearts be full of gratitude for what we're doing and take advantage of the fact that we do this with great ease. So we just invite you to come and be our teacher by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would fill us to know your will. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Three foundational callings for us today. The first, found, the first calling is the call to unity. And in this passage, we've, we've, we're picking up here in verse 7, but really, uh, if you jump back earlier, just before this, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. He said in verse 4, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. All. He's saying there is just there is one body, there is a oneness to which you have been called. So that the image of, of the call to unity is described with this image of a body, a human body. And in verse 3, he says, uh, or verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with each other in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Our default position as we put our faith in Jesus, as we receive his Spirit, our default position is unity. It's us who need to maintain that unity, to foster that unity that God's Spirit has given us as we have the same one faith and the one Lord. Jesus knew that our unity was crucial to our existence with him. He prayed this, what we call the high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying for himself. Jesus was praying for his disciples, and Jesus prayed for those who would follow after. That's us. And Jesus prayed these words in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. He said, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus knew that the unity of his people would show the world his goodness, his God, one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfectly unified in himself, 
that our unity would reflect that to a world who needs his love so desperately. That's our call to unity. So he makes us, Jesus makes us a body. And to that body, Jesus gives his grace. He just gives these free gifts. And that's where we pick up in verse 7. says, to each one of us, grace has been given, just as Christ apportioned it. And then it quotes the, uh, it's kind of a strange quote, but it's quoting Psalm 68. And basically says that uh, Jesus is like this king, this image of a king in Psalm 68, who uh, is returning from a battle with all these treasures and all this plunder, and he's just giving it freely to all the people. And, and Jesus gives freely these wonderful gifts that he has to us. And he, uh, in verse 11, he is appointing various, he's giving various giftings uh, to certain individuals who are, uh, who are leaders and who are providing and equipping all of God's people. So the point of verse 11 here is that uh, as the church is being the church, there's leaders that are, have an equipping role so that all of God's people can function. The function of that body is to serve the world. It's um, verse 12, to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So as this body is unified, as it is using its gifts, as it working as a body, there's this building up of it. There's a growing unity that comes from that. And it's in two parts. Verse, uh, we'll pick up in verse 12. It says, To equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. There's the two parts of the unity. The first part is the unity of faith. It's trusting God together. That's what it means to be his body. It's not about what we accomplish, about um, what we perform, how we organize ourselves. It is the fact that we are a people who are called to trust the one true God, who trust that he is at work, that we have this deep abiding trust, that he is indeed on the, mood, in, on the move, that God is in this, that God has this in his hands, whatever we experience. It's his work bringing about newness in you, individually and in us collectively. So it's unity in the faith, but it's also unity in the knowledge of Jesus. We are unified because we know Jesus, because we are vitally connected to him. This is the basis of our unity. Without our connection to Jesus, we would not be unified to one another. It's knowing Jesus, my Lord. It's the greatest thing. Fernando and I were reflecting on this song, a very simple song, and they, I think they're rehearsing it for another day. But it's uh, called Give Me Jesus, and it's the simplest song. Give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all the world. Give me Jesus. That is the, that is the primary, the foundational relationship on which our unity is built. And God is calling us to unity. We are a body. It may feel at times that uh, the body uh, feels broken or that a limb is missing or something is changing, but we believe in a God who regenerates his body, who brings about new things. It doesn't always look exactly the same, but we are trusting God together to bring unity and we are making every effort to foster that unity. And that's our first calling. It's the call to unity. The second calling that we see here in this passage is a call to maturity. So pick up here in verse 13. 
um, until we reach the unity in the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, that is, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There is this, as this body is unified, it grows, and it grows to a maturity, a full stature. It's the image of the human body becoming uh, adulthood. And it's described as attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is very mature. I wonder how many people would claim that. Say, yeah, I'm mature. I've, I've attained to the whole fullness of the measure of Christ. Who would, who would sign up for that? If we had two classes, we have one class for people who have attained the full measure of, um, who've attained the whole measure of the fullness of Christ and those who are still working on it. I mean, who would go to that class? You would, who would sign up to teach that class? I mean, even the Apostle Paul, he includes himself with this group. Verse 13, he says, we all, or verse 14, we will no longer be infants. Verse 15, we will grow. He's including himself in those who are on this growth to become more like Jesus, to attain the full measure of this maturity, this full stature. And so we all need to grow. But what happens is we become experts at seeing the fact that other people need to grow in their spiritual maturity. That you see other people, you see their uh, actions and their attitudes and behaviors that are not Christ-like. And you say, wow, that person has a long way to grow in maturity. And we become experts. And kids, I love having the kids here today. Kids, you keep us adults honest. And what happens, kids, uh, when you're driving with your parents and someone cuts them off, they get very angry. Can you believe that guy driving like that? And in the parking lot, can you believe these people parking all crooked and too close to the lines? But then your parent cuts someone off and they say, oh, sorry. They expect everybody, oh, sorry, no, sorry, that just happened. Just expecting all the grace in the world and judging others. I, I, um, you know, I pull into a parking spot at the grocery store and I get out and I look at my work and I think, man, did they move the lines when I, from the time I pulled in? Because... I thought that was nice and straight, and I leave it. Um, but and then I forget my reusable bags, and I go back out and see how bad I parked twice, and then I go back in, and then okay. The but what what, what happens is we need to realize that we're all in this. We all need to grow in our maturity. That that is a that is God's call on us, and we get stuck in this immaturity, which is described in verse fourteen. It says we'll be we'll no longer be infants. Immaturity is described like infancy, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people. They're deceitful, scheming it. If we don't mature, we're just going to be like little kids that just flop all around. Kids are, little kids are great. You can throw them in the air and catch them, and they, they laugh. They're very tossable uh, in, a loving, in a very loving, playful way, of course. But um, if we don't mature, that's us. Anybody can just pick us up and move us, and we just, you'll hear an idea, and you're not even sure if it's true. It's just, it's a terrible picture. And it was research done by a group, and they published this uh, a number of years ago. And it was really fascinating research. They were, they were surveying uh, Christians all across America uh, regarding spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. And it's, the, the research is very imperfect, but the scope of this research, and they published it into a book called Move, and about how people move along this kind of continuum of, of spiritual growth. 
Whenever you try to measure spiritual growth or uh, quantify it in some way, it, it really falls short. But the vast amount of data, they surveyed 250,000 Christians uh, about these things. So just even the, the scope of the data was, was fascinating. And one of the things, and I've shared this with you before, one of the things that was interesting that they found was that many Christians on their, you know, this spiritual maturity, the spiritual growth, are just stuck. They just get stuck. They just stop wherever they've gotten to. It just, and they call those people stuck. And 92% of the quarter of a million people that were surveyed, all these Christians, 92% of them at one time in their journey or another said, yes, I've been there. I've been stuck. So most Christians experience this. They describe the stuck people as people who invest very little in their faith during that time. There are people who become less connected and more disappointed in their church. The sense that somehow their church has let them down. But do you know the number one reason that people reported in the survey that they got stuck or stalled out in their faith? The number one reason? They were just too busy. They, they were overwhelmed by normal, just day-to-day life. And it's interesting that it wasn't because of some uh, huge trauma in their life. It wasn't because of deep grief or a deep depression. It was normal demands of life. It was work and commuting and dirty diapers and finances and just normal, everyday stuff that caused people to just get stuck. I believe Jesus understood this dynamic, and he understood it well. He, he said, he, if you know the, the story in the Bible of Mary and Martha, he said, if you're going to be real worried about all the stuff going on around you and all the tasks you have to do, Martha, and forget about my presence with you, Mary understood, you're going to miss the whole point. He said, Jesus said, people who are really caught up in their possessions are going to have a really hard time. Connecting with me in there every day. He said, if you are not willing to just, just give away your possessions, you can't follow me, be my disciple. If your family is more important to you and the demands of family and things you need to do, if that's more important than me, you are not going to be able to follow me. He knew that all these things, good things, your work, your family, your, the, your ambitions and the things that you do, These are good things, but Jesus said these are the very same things that could cause you to lose sight of my presence with you. And you will not mature. You will not grow as a disciple. That's why we as a church, we put so much um, emphasis on whole life discipleship, that we live as disciples of Jesus in those places, that it's in my commute and in... In those dirty diapers, so to speak. It's in those moments of those tasks of the day that that Jesus is there. That we live as disciples through those things. That we don't just sort of get filled up here and then go try to live it out and then come back and fill back up. But we experience it everywhere. Whole life discipleship. So that we can grow to maturity. In verse 15 describes, not this infancy, but verse 15. Instead, it's speaking the truth in love. We will grow and become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Again, it's the headship of Jesus. It's the centrality of Jesus. 
There is no other way to maturity except through that vital connection to Jesus. And of course, the that move research with all these many people who are stuck, the number one thing that gets them unstuck, prayer and meditating on Scripture. Well, the number one and two things. Prayer and meditating on... It's, it's that vital connection to Jesus, communicating with him through prayer, through his word. And it wasn't because their church did a new program or there was a new leader or a new teaching. It was prayer and scripture that caused them to break from the stuck and to continue on to maturity. You know, it, it's about knowing Jesus. My good friend and colleague and... Um, David Midwood, and he, he's, Lord took him home uh, almost five years ago now. He would always say, Jesus is not my accomplice. It's not that Jesus is helping me achieve all my life goals, that Jesus is going to help me overcome obstacles. Jesus is going to help me raise my children well. Jesus is going to make me better behaved. No, Jesus himself is the goal. Not some agent to help me do other things. It's to know him. Prayer. That's why prayer becomes so key. We're just sort of wrapping up what we call you know, prayer week or week of prayer. and uh, some, Many of you participated in that. Maybe you didn't. Any week can be a week of prayer. You don't have to wait for the, the next thing. Just take the time to pray and to foster that primary relationship so that we can be unified and that we can mature. The third calling is a call to purity. In verse 17 to 19, it describes impurity. Basically, that apart from Jesus Christ, hearts become very hard, and all that you have is your own desires, your own sensuality, your own just what feels good to me, and that's what you do. It leads to all kind of impurity. It leads to greed, just getting what you want. But in verse 22, this church is reminded, you were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, being created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we have this unified body, unity. That body is growing up to maturity, and this mature body, as it operates, as it lives, grows in purity, righteousness, and holiness. Um, and, it's, and, and notice here in verse 23, this is about being made new, not just, okay, now you're grown up, now try much harder. It's that there's something new that's being made in you by the power of God, by his grace. And yes, there's old patterns and ways that need to die. But anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, a new thing has come. And we live into that newness. We put off the old self. When we sin, we own it. We repent of it. We, we leave it at the cross. We receive God's grace. We don't dwell on it. But we receive grace and we move on and we put on this new way. Righteousness and holiness, as it says in verse 24. And again, Jesus died and we know that he has forgiven us and he purifies us and cleanses us. But we are not pure and holy in all of our actions. We know that that we continue to, to wrestle with this and fall short. 
But when God cleanses us and when he makes us holy, it's not that our every action is holy. It's that he's declared us righteous. He, we, the guilt and the condemnation of our sin isn't there. He's declared you innocent. He's declared you righteous. And then we operate from that place of being declared holy, being declared righteous. And we take that innocence and we operate from that. And we make decisions that shape our character and grow us in purity. And then the, the verses that follow, follow verse 24 here, it, it gives very specific examples of how to do that. I encourage you this week as a way to, to take this message with you is look up in your Bible, Ephesians 4, and work through those verses, verses 25 and following. In broad categories, it talks about our words, how we can grow in purity in our words, to speak truthfully, to let no unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, to only speak words that build others up. And this is what God is calling us to, a purity. And we can just ask questions. Where have my words not built others up? Have I used my words to cut others down? Another broad category is anger. Don't be angry. Don't let bitterness and rage or anger or malice don't hold bitterness. Don't let these things get you. This, um, how am I going to deal with, with people that I might feel bitter towards or angry at? If we're going to be unified and we're going to grow together and be purified, how am I united, not angry at one another? Forgiveness, again, this is another broad category. Forgiving each other just as Christ and God forgave you. Extending the forgiveness that we've received. Who are we bitter towards? Who do you need to forgive? God is calling you and God is calling us to a greater unity, to a greater maturity, and to a great purity. Let us pray. Father, this is a high calling. Not one of us can achieve it on our own. Yet you have called us. Yet you equip us. You've given us your good gifts. You've given us your very Holy Spirit that we are being made new. God, give us the grace to put off the old self. Give us the grace and your mercy, Lord, that it might propel us to put on this new way. And as we look forward at our own lives, as we look forward as our life together, as your body, as your church, may we grow. May we mature. We thank you for your great love. Receive all the glory for these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.